First Peter chapter four. We're looking at verses one through six. You guys noticed maybe in the bulletin the title of the message is "Arm Yourself," and all the guys are like, "Yes, finally something that I can relate to." You guys are all aware of the the big dust up this last week concerning the rifle scopes with scripture on them. Don't know if you read that. I'll give you a quick synopsis. Bowing to Pentagon concerns and an international outcry, a Michigan arms company said Thursday that it would immediately stop embossing references to the New Testament scriptures on rifle sites it sells the military. The company, Trijicon, hope I said that right, has multi-million dollar contracts with the Pentagon for advanced telescopic sites that are widely used in Iraq and Afghanistan. Trijicon said that it would provide the Pentagon with 100 free kits, and I think they've, they've actually... Uh, said now they'll provide as many kits as they need to for removing the letter the lettering on existing weapons for years the company acknowledged it has put small scriptural references near the model numbers on some products a, a practice started by its founder who was christian our decision to voluntarily remove these references is both prudent and appropriate said the statement by stephen binden the, the company's president trijicon specializes in advanced telescopic rifle sites that provide enhanced vision in low light and it sells products to hunters and law enforcement agencies as well as to the military today in our scripture peter is speaking to a church if you've been with us who is persecuted tremendously persecuted they are being fed to the lions they are being rolled in pitch and burned alive by Nero and today in chapter 4 Peter gives us a call to arms he says arm yourself look at verse 1 chapter 4 verse 1 says Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same mind. Peter says to a church that's being unbelievably persecuted, here's how you arm yourself. Here's the weapon to take up. Christ's mindset. Now, let's get right into the scriptures and we'll see it. Verse 1, it says, therefore, students of the word, what do you do when you see the word therefore? You look to see what it's Therefore, it points back to something previous. So let's find it. I think it's in chapter 3, verse 18. We'll get a running start. Verse 17 says, Peter speaking again to a persecuted church, for it is better if it is the will of God to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, not being put, or excuse me, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. The idea that Peter's trying to get across to a church that's being persecuted is this. Look, Jesus, when he died for you and me, right, the just for the unjust, he gave us a pattern for faithfully enduring suffering, especially suffering we don't deserve. Peter says, look, if you want to not only survive, but thrive in the midst of suffering, persecution, If you want what we've seen over and over again in the scriptures, if you want that crazy joy in jail, that absurd peace in prison, if you want hope in a hopeless situation, arm yourself with Christ's mind. Think the way that he did when he went through tremendous persecution. 
I said it before, and I'll say it plenty more, I'm sure. The battle for joy in the midst of persecution, trouble, suffering, is won or lost in the mind. How should a, a believer, a follower of Jesus, how should they think in the midst of trouble? I'm glad you asked. <laughs> I got four W's for you this morning, if you're taking notes. An outline that would have four W's on it. I'll just give you them quickly and then we'll, we'll go through them. Number one, Peter says, arm yourself with this. Be, uh, be willing or... See that it's possible to win over sin. That's your first W. Win over sin. Number two, be wise with your time. That is the time remaining. Number three, I think you'll like, be weird to the world. And number four, guys, we win in the end. So first up, arm yourselves, Peter says, with Christ's mind, the way he thought. Here it is, the first one. Suffering, Peter says, is designed to help you win over sin. Look at it, verse 1. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same mind, for he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Peter is talking to a church that's facing persecution, and he says... There is something purifying about persecution. Now, logically, we can see this. It totally makes sense, especially when you think of the church corporately. Right? If you want to separate the wheat from the chaff, the, the sheep from the goats, just bring in persecution. I guarantee you the people that are coming this morning that came for the great coffee are going to be gone. The people that came in for the great conversation, the, the wonderful friendships, and there are many. The people that came for the awesome teaching are going to be gone. You're like, they left long ago. <laughs> you introduce persecution. If that's the only reason you're coming, if it's because of the worship or you know the, the music it makes you feel good, you'll be gone. See, Persecution has a way of purifying the church corporately, but Peter is talking about to us individually. Persecution, trouble, if you let it, will be purifying. Here's, here's my point. Some of the suffering that the Lord has allowed in your life is so that you might win over sin. Just a cursory glance of the next few verses should show you that. Look at verse 2. That he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lust of men, but for the will of God. For we have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lewdness, lust, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. We're going to exegete that in a few minutes. I think that might be a verb. If it's not, I just made it one. But one of the overall themes is this, right? Suffering, if done well, helps you make a clean break from the old you. Suffering, if done well, helps you win over sin. Verse 1 again. Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same mind. For he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Now, does that mean... <clears throat> 
that if persecution arises in our country and you're willing to be beaten for your faith, does that mean you'll never sin again? I don't think so. The, the word cease there is pow. I don't know if I said it right. It means to have a release from sin. It means to no longer be stirred by its incitements or seductions. Here's the point. I think that when you identify with Jesus through suffering, there is a great loosening of the hold that sin has upon you. That besetting sin that sometimes the Lord is using suffering to loosen that from you. Suffering in the flesh, if we do it well, can pay great benefits in the Spirit. Let me say that again. Suffering in the flesh, if we do it well, can pay great benefits in the Spirit. You guys want to do that whole call and response thing that we do sometimes? Okay, we'll do it anyway. This is a little bit tricky. We tried it in the first service. They were kind of, eh, we'll see. But you, you guys on my left have it so easy. All you have to do is read the words in the flesh. Okay? You guys on the right, are you smarter than them? Okay, don't answer that. Um, yours is a little bit trickier. I'm going to point to you and, and ask you to read the part. What I'm trying to show you is the connection between suffering in the flesh and what God is doing in the spirit. But all of your words aren't always in the spirit. That's why it's tricky. All right, here we go. Let's go back to chapter 3, verse 18, and you'll see where we begin. Okay, you guys ready? Verse 18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death, but made alive by the Spirit. Good job. Now, go to chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, since Christ suffered for us, arm yourselves also with... Yeah, see, that's a little bit more nebulous, but it's, it's true. For he who has suffered has that he no longer should live the rest of his time for the lust of men, but for the... Now look down at verse 6. For this reason, the gospel was preached also to those who are dead, that they might be judged according to men, but live according to God. One of the messages that's in here is, guys, there's a war going on between the flesh and the spirit. Your old man and what Jesus is doing in your life. Galatians talks about it, right? The flesh between the old man, the, the, the flesh and the spirit. Whichever one you feed is going to be the one that grows. Peter says here in our text, arm yourself with this knowledge. When you are suffering in the flesh, God is working a benefit for you in the spirit. Romans 6 chapter 7 says, for he who has died has been freed from sin. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. This is Paul writing it. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, there it is, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Once again, the idea for the Christian, and you've heard me say this too. If God is allowing suffering in your life, it's not to ruin you. It's to refine you. He wants you to win over sin by dying to yourself, by having a clean break. Here's the question. Are you letting suffering do its job? 
Are you letting the suffering that the Lord is allowing in your life do its job? Are you making a clean break with the old you? Or are you wasting this chance? Are you finding comfort in Christ? Or are you finding comfort in the same carnality that got you into the mess? In your suffering, are you feeding the flesh or are you feeding the spirit? Peter says to a group that's being persecuted, guys, find your comfort, your courage in Christ. Not in the old junk. Peter says, look, arm yourself. Think this way. Win over sin. Jesus did. Remember, he says, have the same mind be in you. Was it not Jesus who won over sin? Not our, not his but ours. That was his, his thing was to go and to conquer sin on our behalf. The Bible says that he set his face toward Jerusalem like a flint. Meaning, nobody's going to stop me. I will win over sin. Again, he didn't have to do it for himself. He did it for us. Arm yourself with this mind, Peter says. God wants me to win over sin. Am I spending this time of suffering wisely? Because that's our next point. Win over sin. Number two, be wise with your time. Specifically, the time that remains for you. Look at verse one. We'll get a running start. Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves also with this same mind. For he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lust of men, but for the will of God. For we have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lewdness, lust, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. Peter says, arm yourself with this. Be wise with my time. That is the time you have left. Just read it again, verse 2. Just, just repetitious reading of the scriptures unlocks so much just by itself that he no longer should live it says the rest of his time in the flesh for the lust of men but for the will of God for we have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of God you guys see the central theme of verses 2 and 3 is time as in how are you spending your time now and what are you going to do with the rest of your time on this earth in the flesh. What are you going to do with the rest of your time that you have in the flesh? <clears throat> Peter says, arm yourself with this truth. Time is short. And again, this is one of the values of suffering. Persecution has a way of making that clear, does it not? Your friends, your next door neighbors are being martyred, eaten alive, Torched, it tends to make you take stock of the time you have left. It tends to make you ask, my time is short. How am I spending it? Look at verse 2 where it says that he should live the rest of his time. That literally means the remainder, the leftover. And the word time there is bios. And it means the rest of our biological time. Quick reminder. You have a certain number of heartbeats assigned to you. You have a certain number of breaths gifted to you. You have a certain number of minutes and hours and days assigned to you. 
and you've used up a bunch. What are you doing with the remainder? Jesus had that mindset. John 9, verses 4 and 5, this is why Peter says, arm yourself with this same mind. Was it not Jesus that said, I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. You know, there's a sense that that can be true for you. It should be true. As long as you are in your little world, you are the light for some people. But you've only got a little bit of time. What are you doing with the time that remains on your biological clock? Verse 3 says, For we have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles. The word we have spent literally, literally means going by. The picture, for me anyway, is of time just marching incessantly. Like you're standing on a bridge and time just keeps flowing under your feet. Like the words of that great theologian, Steve Miller. Time keeps on slipping, slipping, slipping into the future. Y'all, you have less of it now than when I started. Some of you are thinking, I know, get on with it. How are you spending the time? The end of verse 2 Gives you two choices. How are you spending it? For the lusts of men or for the will of God? Christian, are you still spending your precious hours, each one a gift from God, seeking to satisfy the lusts of men, the lust of your flesh? Or have you made a clean break and now you are spending your hours, your days, to do the will of God. How are you spending the rest of your time here? Interesting, those words <clears throat> there at the end of verse 2, where it says lusts, it, it means craving, which when you think about it, by definition means something that cannot satisfy. Right? A lust is, is a craving going after something that Never will satisfy, no matter how much you you indulge in it, it, you still want more. See, those who have made a clean break with their old man, they spend their hours in something that is satisfying, the will of God. That's exactly the conversation that Jesus had with the the woman at the well, right? Look, you're, you're spending your time drinking from cisterns, drinking glasses of sand. Come to me, I'll, I'll let you drink water. I'll fill you up. You'll, you'll be overflowing with water, eternal life. Application. Are you filling, following your will and your desires that you've shown cannot satisfy you? Or are you willing to follow His desires, His will for you that brings satisfaction? Verse 3. For we have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles. And he has a list here. I'm going to go pretty quickly through them. When we walked in lewdness... <coughs> Excuse me. Lewdness, that's shameless sin. That's sin that makes no apologies. It's proud. Um, maybe some of you have co-workers and they tell you every Monday, you're going to hear tomorrow, their exploits of this last weekend. Right? Where they're proud of their sin. That is lewdness. It says, 
We spend enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lewdness, lust. We just talked about that. That's that's craving. It's not. It's including, but not limited to sexual lust. It's that craving for things that never satisfy. When we walked in lewdness, lust, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties. I'm going to cover all those together because they're all related. It has to do with uh, inebriation of any kind, whether it would be uh, uh, drugs, alcohol, that kind of thing. I think, I mean, drunkenness and drinking parties, you know what those are. But revelries, let me explain that a little bit. Uh, This is from the Blue Letter Bible. Revelry, a nocturnal and riotous procession of half-drunken and frolicsome fellows who after supper parade through the streets with torches and music in honor of Bacchus, that's the god of wine, or some other deity, and sing and play before houses of male and female friends. So think frat party, I guess. We spend enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lewdness, lust, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, and abominable, that's repugnantly hateful, detestable idolatries. There's a whole bunch of words in there. What do you think is the most important? Don't, don't say it out loud because you might disagree with me and then that would be awkward. <laughs> What do you think the most important word in verse 3 is? Here's what I think. Enough. Enough. Peter says, For we have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles, all of these wretched things. Maybe there's people here today who need to say, Enough. Enough of it. Sadly, some professing Christians have never said enough to their old life. And time keeps on slipping and slipping. They'll say things like, well, tomorrow. Or they'll say things like, well, just just once more and then. But they never say enough. They never make a clean break. They never say, whatever it costs me, I'm saying today, enough. I will not stand by and let the rest of my life and my kids' lives pass by. I will not continue craving and never being satisfied. Maybe there's people this morning who need to say, enough. Peter says, look, be wise with the time that you have left. Number two, he says, or first he said, win over sin. Number three, here we go, new category. Arm yourself with this, Peter says. Be weird to the world. Now listen, you don't have to go out of your way to be weird to the world. Just say it. But we, by our nature, without, without intentionally being so, By our new nature, we should be weird to the world. Because look at verse 4. It says, in regard to these, that's the lewdness, the lust, the drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, all that stuff. In regard to these, they think it's strange, foreign, odd, that you do not run with them in the same flood of dissipation, speaking evil of you. Let's go back to that definition of revelry, right? The frat party. Maybe some of you, when you first were saved, you experienced something just like this. Your old friends, right? The ones that now think that you're weird. It's 1 a.m. They're 
three sheets of the wind. They're parading by your house. Dude, what is your problem? I mean, ever since you got born again, ever since you met Jesus, you don't party. I mean, you talk about the abundant life, but this is the abundant life. (laughs) They say, this is living, man. And he falls flat in his own vomit. When you get saved, when you really get saved, when you really get delivered from darkness to light, a funny thing happens. Your old friends tell you that you're the weird one. Because you don't love the taste of vomit. Because you control your tongue. Because you love your kids. Because you're faithful to your wife. I mean, you miss out on so many diseases and liver problems, weirdo. <laughs> the, the deal is, you, you make them uncomfortable, right? Because of the change that's happened in you. So they desperately want you to join the parade that they're in. But here's the deal, and you know it that parade is going nowhere good. Peter says, they think it's strange that you do not run with them. Sintreco, it means to run together, stampede, right? They think it's strange that you do not run with them in the same flood. Interesting. Last chapter talked about Noah. And the fact that there's this judgment coming. And they think it's strange with you that you not run with them in the same flood. It says of dissipation, speaking evil of you. Now, this was really enlightening to me. Uh, the word dissipation there. It's asotia. The A is a negative prefix, right? Um, and sotia is from the, the word sozo, which some of you may know means to save, to keep safe and sound, to rescue from danger. So what this means in that in the dissipation means that these guys that are trying to get you to run with them are running as fast as they can away from safety away from that which will rescue them. Again, Peter paints a picture not unlike Noah working on his boat. How many times did he have... This, 120 years that he's saying, okay, there's a flood coming. Okay, 119 years. How's that working for you, Noah? The old friends, dude, all you ever do is work on that boat. Put down the hammer. Let's get hammered. <laughs> Dude, I know you say all the things about the flood stuff, but we got surfboards. We'll just ride it out. I think Noah must have said, um, no thanks. I'm just going to keep following orders. Going to keep building this boat. So, here's the thing. Gut check. Are you weird to the world? Or are you not? I want to... Be careful in how I say this so you'll understand. Well, the Bible says, if you are not weird to the world, you're at odds with God. It says if you're a friend of the world, and I want to clarify what I mean, that doesn't mean we shouldn't be winsome, we shouldn't be helpful. But if the world looks at you and they, they see nothing different, you're just running with them, you are at odds with God wasn't able to develop it, but maybe one of you guys will. I just have the picture of my head of a lonely lemming. 
right? Just standing there at the, the edge of the cliff. All of his buddies running off. Come on, dude, come on. It's going to be fun. Running to their deaths. Peter says, I know it's tough. Persecution. Arm yourself with this mind. Look, you, you can win over sin. Please be wise with the time that you have left. It's okay. It's good to be weird to the world. And lastly, number four. Guys, we win in the end. Look at verse 5. All of those lemming friends of yours. Verse 5. They will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. How many of you, anybody have an old King James here this morning? It says, who is ready to judge the quick and the dead. Right, you've heard that in New York. There's only two kinds of pedestrians. The quick and the dead. When you're, when you're suffering persecution, ridicule could be, again, eventually maybe outright persecution. It's good to remember the king whom you serve, every man and woman will answer to. That's what he's saying. They will give an account to him who is ready to judge a living and the dead. No matter what it looks like now, no matter how bad it looks, no matter how bad it gets, if you're a Christian, if you really are a Christian, if you've turned your life over to Him, I can tell you, we win in the end. And the end might be sooner than you think. Look at verse 5 again. It says, They will give an account to Him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. What's that word ready mean? It means ready. Ready at hand. Ready right now. Notice it does not say, they will give an account to him who is gearing up to judge. Him who is kind of working it out, and he's, he's going to come sometime. He hasn't come by his mercy and his grace, but the scriptures declare he's ready right now. They will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. Verse 6, for this reason the gospel was preached also to those who are dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God. In the spirit. Verse 6 has a few possible scenarios, ways that it, things that he might have meant. There's no way for me to tell you for sure. I'm going to give you my thoughts. Let you guys be Bereans. I love that. That's like the safety valve. I just tell you what I think and then like, go be Bereans. You figure it out. Verse 6, um, on Thursday, we, we covered a really difficult portion of Scripture, the last few ch- uh, verses of chapter 3. <clears throat> We, we learned that um, possibly, again, uh, depending on who, who you listen to, what commentators you read, all that stuff, some taters are more common than others. <laughs> but Jesus, uh, it says, declared victory uh, when it says that he preached, that word is Caruso back in chapter 3. He declared victory to the disobedient spirits, okay? It could be that verse 6 is saying that... Uh, just like he did that to the disobedient spirits, he also went to those um, who were waiting for the, the resurrection to happen and uh, led captivity captive. Um, that could be what Peter's referring to here. Here's my thing. I, I'm fine with that. After reading this through many, many times this week, by the way, sometimes people say, hey, how do you do your study? First thing, read through the scripture over and over again. Ask the Lord, just like Salt and Light's telling you, ask the Lord to reveal those things. 
Where I feel right now, after having read it, the times that I did this week, and this makes sense to me in context, remember that Peter's talking to a persecuted church, right? What that means in reality for these guys, the guys that grab the letter from the messenger's hand and start to read it, these guys are seeing their friends murdered, martyred, gruesome deaths they're seeing with their friends. I think, in context, what Peter is speaking of in verse 6, I think he's reminding those who are still biologically living, I think he's reminding them that their martyred friends are also living. I think he's reminding them about their friends. Look, what Martha said. Remember what Martha said in John 11? Or excuse me, what Jesus said to Martha. That'll make a lot more sense. (laughs) What Jesus said to Martha concerning his brother, her brother. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, yet he shall live. Read verse 6 in that context. For this reason, the gospel who was, was preached also to those, you could put friends of yours, who are dead, that they might be judged. Now watch, according to men in the flesh, that, that speaks to me of persecution, right? But live according to God in the Spirit. Remember, that's where we kept seeing that phrase, to be judged in the flesh, but live by the Spirit. Judge in the flesh, live by the Spirit. That's kind of my take on it, is that Peter's saying, To these people, look, your friends, yeah, they were judged in the flesh, but now they're living by the Spirit. Remember, go back to verse 18 of chapter 3, one more time. It says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. And here he says the very same thing in verse 6 about some, some folks who are dead. See, I think Peter is saying, Yes, I know that it's tough. I know right now it looks like we are being led like sheep to the slaughter. I know you're saying sometimes, I thought Jesus loved me and I thought he was all powerful. So why am I going through this? He's saying to some of those people, look, Those people who've been martyred, they are with Jesus and they are rejoicing right now. Look at verse 6. For this reason, the gospel was preached also to those who are dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the Spirit. Long short of it, I think Peter's saying, look, aren't you glad that your buddies, the ones that you saw die in front of your eyes, aren't you glad they heard the gospel? Aren't you glad they responded to the gospel, the good news, before they died? Peter's saying, look, Nero can take away their breath, but he cannot take away their life. He can burn their skin, but he cannot burn their spirit. Everyone who responds to the good news of Jesus, who surrenders their life, I can tell you this. We win in the end. That's all the more reason, is it not? To share the gospel if you're a Christian. If you're not a Christian here this morning, it's all the more reason to respond to the gospel. It's good news. 
It's not bad news. It's good news. That Jesus saw your state and he knew you needed a Savior. And he said, I'll do that. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your mercy and your goodness. Thank you, Lord, for your gentleness with us. Lord, you know every every heart. You know the things that people are suffering right now. You know the struggles that they're facing. Lord, you, you have the power to save. You are mighty to save. Ask, Lord, that you would... You would rule and reign in this place this morning. That all that you want to accomplish, you do. That the devil would have no foothold, no place at all. That anything he would be preventing, Lord, you would crush his head. Lord, we want you to rule and to reign. Not only in our hearts collectively, Lord, but more importantly, individually. Help us, Lord, to redeem this time, this time of application now, wisely. In Jesus' precious name. Amen.